It's Dr. Stu's podcast number 75. 75. That's right. Dr. Stu's podcast number 75. We are so happy to be here with you. Dr. Stuart Fishbein is here. I'm Brian Whitman. And uh, yeah, we've made it all the way to podcast 75. That's a lot of podcasts. You know, a lot of people start in this podcast business with this new media of podcasting. They do two or three to want to hear how their own voice sounds coming through a microphone, and then they get ADD and they quit. But Dr. (laughs) Stu actually cares about your health. He cares about babies, obviously, and home birthing and this movement. That's why we are all the way up to Podcast 75 on Dr. Stu's website at Dr. Stu's Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast right there on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes and send an email. Dr. Stu reads them all. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. And I want to thank my listeners for listening. And I have uh, two surprises, for, well, two, two special things to talk about right now. One is we're going to just talk about plain home birthing for the next 35 minutes or so. We're not going to go off on it. Well, we'll probably go off on tangents, but we're you gonna, and me yeah. and her and yeah. Kimberly. We'll and go the off surprise on a is that Kimberly has come all the way back. This is great. Now, she, Kimberly she, Dunst, so let me she, say, where do you, uh, live, where do you live? Where do you live? Kimberly? I live about a mile and a half from Venice Beach. Do you okay. ever, do you so get, she came all, she was, she was at Randy's house. <laughs> she drove all the way home. All the way back. We decided we were going to do another podcast. We had her drive all the way back. Amazingly, the traffic was great. I it call it, great. I, I say Durrance because of, you know, the actress, Kirsten Dunst. Do you get that a lot or no? I mean, you don't look like her, but the name is okay you're kimberly durden d-u-r-d-i-n kimberly uh comes before the uh, listeners of dr stew's podcast as an internationally board certified lactation consultant brian she's not she's not acting in that capacity in podcast number seven no but she still needs to be identified damn okay she's going to act as a (laughs) extraordinary uh, midwifery student and an ibclc which means internationally board certified lactation consultant (laughs) and uh, she's wonderful and she's got we're not going to talk about boobies we're not going to talk about boobies which is we're not even going to mention the word boobies. It could come up. You never know. It could come up. On this program, I think one thing you've learned after at the 75th, after 74 full episodes with you and me. That's I, because you're an OB. I wouldn't start any show by calling a moratorium on anything. No, I wouldn't start any show by saying, well, definitely won't do this. No, we've even had, we've even had a shooting on our show with, 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 uh, uh, with yes, Randy, who did. actually recovered nicely. Yes, he did. Uh, that was a, it was a home invasion. <laughs> that was a rough time for me. No, so. we, that was, we were testing out Obamacare at that yeah, time. Remember, he was stuck in the, uh, on the stairs and of, we, of Kaiser waiting to get in in the morning. For yes, us. and we thought that uh, what had arrived via FedEx was indeed his paperwork from Covered California. It turns out it was just an old-fashioned Southern California home invasion. God willing, uh, <laughs> Randy made it, and uh, you remember that? You have no memory. That's the good news. You have no memory of a traumatic. I only remember what you told me. Right. Okay. Good. And what did I? What did I tell you? You told me you had nothing to do with it. Oh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Doctor Stu, do you want to do sort of a straight up old school, old feel Doctor Stu's podcast today? Yeah, I I want to talk a little bit about home birthing, and I want to talk about uh, some things that are changing. There's been a sort of, you know, again, it's it's generally the the. uh, not accepted. It's not the norm, but it is growing and the popularity is growing. And we know that because we know that people who are anti-home birth are raising the temperature of their anti-home birth rhetoric, but they are being countered these days by people in the same profession, academicians, maternal fetal medicine specialists who are taking another tack and looking at it in an ethical way and saying things like, you know, we may agree to disagree, 
but we need to respect that this is a woman's choice. Remember and, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill disagreeing without being disagreeable? The way politics today... I don't, I don't actually remember okay, that. Okay, well, I, I do, and I'm going to say this. <laughs> the way politics today is, and I deal with it every morning. I don't need to, on this program to get plugs in for my morning show on KRLA here in Los Angeles, but I lament all... But I will, damn it. I, <laughs> I lament every listener counts. I lament all the time that it appears that we can no longer have a conversation with someone who disagrees with us. President Bill Clinton, who I bow to, to for whom I voted twice, by the way, has said this, and, and this applies to the home birthing debate. He says, uh, Dr. Stu, and he says, Kimberly, the greatest challenge we face in our- Wait, 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 wait. I'll do it again. All right, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, you better do it the way right. All right, fine. I'm a, <laughs> like a circus monkey. Wind me up. <laughs> President Clinton says about politics, but I think it applies to home birthing. He says- uh, let me say that I, I, I do believe that the greatest problem that we face in our country today <laughs> is that nobody wants to talk to anybody who disagrees with them. <laughs> and he is right. He yeah. is right. Yeah. He is right. However, I, you like oh, that impression? Kim, well, Kimberly that, had a comment. I so. think that that's and besides the, the applause, and, besides the applause for Brian. That was amazing. And by the way, you're a cutie patootie too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love to come catch a baby with you one afternoon, pumpkin. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. Okay, there you have it. Oh my God. Thank you, okay, so you know it's funny because when we talk about this home birth debate, one of our biggest. Uh, detractors is a, a Dr. Amy Tudor. We've talked about her, haven't we? And we've tried to not mention her by name. So okay. I think you've, you've just broken one of the cardinal doctors. Good. It's podcast seventy eight, girlfriend. Yeah, go, for, go for it, baby. Um, go let for me just it, tell baby. you what I want to say about it's podcast seventy five. Make some history, girl. What yep. I want to say about this person is that I am actually happy. Oh. No one else is saying this, but I'm glad that she's putting vitriol out there and she's spewing things because I think that it's it's we need a debate. And we need to have some contrast, and we need to know what the ex the extreme other side is thinking, yes. so we can kind of come together. So yeah, we can't she, but, silence her. Yeah, well, no, but she's toxic, and she's, uh, she's ad hominem, and she's she, uh, she's it's an odd thing because no one knows what her motivation is. This I mean, is true. She's not an academician. She she's could be not, paid. She could be being paid by somebody. Okay, yeah, so but who who would who would who would pay her as the moderator that? here? Doctor Stu's podcast going to go to Doctor Stu, the host of our show, and then. Uh, what are you doing? You're waving. Uh, you're waving. No, stuff I want. I want to show you stuff. We're like an old married. I want about stuff. Now we're like an old man. I want to show you stuff. You're like an no, old. No, that's for okay. me. To, me to talk about you. Brian, you newspaper you clippings. To, you to introduce me. Okay, uh, here's Doctor Stu. He is a okay. gifted man and my dear friend. But I do want you to talk about where we are in that debate with the opposition, if indeed it's gotten more civil. And then after you do that, I'll have Kimberly Durden well, sort of chime in on the I, same. I personally think it's becoming more civil because I think that the people that continue to pound the table don't have, you know, they don't really have uh, a whole lot of facts on their side. I think that they continue to point out the anecdote. We've talked about this on our show before, that the plural of anecdote is not data. I think that they're, you know, they, they are ideologues. Everybody knows it's anecdoti. It's the plural of anecdotes is anecdoti. Right. Okay, right. fine. So anyway, there were, two, there were two articles that came out this past week. One was in um, uh, the Huffington Post, okay. which I'm sure you read every day. Almost. And one was in a uh, thing called the uh, mag uh, throwaway magazine in our profession called Contemporary OBGYN. Which I'm unfamiliar with. Which I wouldn't expect you to be reading. Okay. I'm a subscriber. It's in Randy's bathroom. I saw it there. Okay, cool. Right. Um, the, the articles are, are, one was by a maternal fetal medicine specialist named Whitney Yu, 
and it's called Maybe We Should Agree to Disagree, A Perspective on Home Birth. Amen. And what she says is that, you know, she doesn't try to talk women out of it. She thinks that it's detrimental to... She uh, thinks hospital birth or home birth is detrimental. When, when a woman presents to her and says, I'm thinking about home birthing, you know, the, the, the knee-jerk response of some of the people like uh, Frank Chervenak from uh, Cornell... She, he says that the ethical thing for uh, pr uh, doctors to do, the professional responsibility ethics, is to um, discourage them and not be associated with them and do nothing to uh, assist them in this process. Yeah, that, that's called the sky's falling reaction. Well, she thinks that that's wrong. I agree. She thinks that it alienates patients. It doesn't serve them well. And By the way, it more than alienates them, forgive me, it scares the crap out of them. Well, these people are already made up their mind that way by, by you being so obstinate or uh, uh, that that you can't uh, have a discussion with them about it. All it does is just uh, strengthen their position that, that you're an asshole. Exactly. Right. So it doesn't do any good. So I, I really admire her thing, and that's in Huffington Post, and you could just uh, Google Whitney U, uh, Y-O-U. And then the other one was in Contemporary OBGYN, and it's by a resident here at Cedars-Sinai, which I was very impressed, uh, who writes that physicians and, quote, natural birth, unquote, the two can coexist. And even though that sounds pretty straightforward to those of us who listen to Dr. Stu's podcast, it seems pretty obvious to us. It's not obvious to a lot of uh, OBGYNs that are practicing out there. So to hear this coming from a next-generation physician who's right. training at an institution that's trying, it's still mired in, in a lot of policy and stuff, but it's trying to become more friendly to uh, alternative choices in birthing and freeing up women, this is really positive for me. So... Um, I, I'm just uh, I, I am very positive about where this is going to go in the next five, four or five mm -hmm. years. I think, again, if we get more people out there, there's more conferences coming up. Ideally, it would be great to get into institutions and speak to people who aren't part of the, um, you know, what you'd call the mainstream your fellow, tra your, your fellow travelers, the people yep. that always appear at all the conferences. And like I said, right. Dr. Berlin had a, a debut of his film the other night and. And, uh, you know, everyone there loves everybody there because we all know each other. Right. And what really we needed there at this VBAC film was to have uh, be shown at Grand Rounds at and, a place like USC or Cedars or someplace like and that. And to measure that, Dr. Stu, that's why I'm going to ask uh, I'm going to ask our guest, Kimberly Durden. Uh, and Dr. Stu, you jump in as well, obviously, as a doctor in the field for 30, podcast. for 30 years. And it's your podcast, darn it. And you're very and you're very excited to assert uh, that it is your podcast. Kimberly's, Kimberly's cracking up. A lot <laughs> today. You like to point out it's your podcast. And yes, it is. Nobody's ever tried to take it away from you. It's all yours. Don't you get your 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 shekels in? In a, in a whatever. Wait, wait, whose but, podcast is this? It's his, Dr. Stu's podcast. You thought it was yours? You thought it was yours? What, oh. are you nuts? You thought it was mine? You, it's in my house. Are you well? <laughs> it's his podcast. He writes the checks. Now, here's the deal. No, that, that is true. And, uh, but who's the... I cash the checks. But who's, yeah. but who's the creator of Dr. Stu's podcast? Who conceptualized it? Don't you dare lie. <laughs> Who came up with the idea? You did, Brian. Oh, okay. oh, don't, ever, don't worry. You did it, Brian. Trust me, the only day we'll ever be in court is to sit in the audience to watch Maury do DNA results. <laughs> so we're never going to court, my okay. friend. Here's the good news. My question, I'm going to put it to Kimberly Durden. When we talk about, as Dr. Stu eloquently did, uh, about sort of the introduction being uh, disagreeing without being disagreeable, it seems to me I'm not, a, I'm not an academic. Uh, academician, right? I'm not in the world of academia, but it would seem to me that at least two, if not four times a year, 
at universities and colleges, small, regional, large, all across America, all across the world, about four times a year, they develop in this area of uh, medicine and birth and birthing and pediatrics and obstetrics, they develop something called a curriculum. I would ask you, in your opinion, as best you can tell, of the 100 pages in a textbook drafted today about childbirth, how many pages of those 100 pages are dedicated to the concept of birth outside of a hospital? If you're talking about America, I am. I would say a half a page, maybe possibly none. Possibly zero pages. And if there was a half Possibly a page, a it, w- it would not be in a positive... Possibly a mention. Yeah. And what's interesting is that... It's we fascinating have, We to have me. a debate in the United States about whether or not physicians and midwives can work together. Now, let's make a distinction. There are certified nurse midwives who typically work in the hospital. They sometimes work out of hospital, too, depending on the state that they're in, if that's legal. And so they are sometimes... More, they are more integrated into the medical community when they're available, when they are in OB, when they're allowed in the OB field. But um, we also have out-of-hospital birth midwives, and those are actually seen even more as more of a fringe group of uh, folks. And we're talking about out-of-hospital birth. However, what I'm saying is that in other countries where women, where families have a choice to give birth at home or to give birth in the hospital, and it's completely understood and respected, Doctors and midwives are working together. They are talking to each other. They are learning from each other. England. And we are not saying, I I had a couple that just birthed a couple of days ago. I was lucky enough to be at their birth as a student midwife. I caught their baby. I was ecstatic um, that everything was beautiful and went well. But they're from Belgium, and they come from a country where, yeah, people home birth over there. It's no big deal. And they they have the option of going to the hospital, or if they're higher risk, they would birth in the hospital. But there's no stigma attached to birthing at home in Belgium. But, but right, but in thir- and we've talked about this on Dr. Stu's podcast, and the actual nations escape me now, but we've talked about how in other parts of our world, in uh, predominantly third world nations, oftentimes some second world nations, there remains this stigma against women who can't uh, fill in the blank. They can't, a woman is pregnant and she can't, have the baby vaginally. vaginally. Well, so she's a pariah. Well, it's interesting. We talked about that. The country we're ta- you're thinking of is Ghana. Thank you. Right. And we had and a we, wonderful guest we about had that. Her on, right. Yep, and, she was wonderful. Right. And uh, in Ghana, if you don't deliver vaginally, you're not considered a uh, you know a complete woman, and the other women tend to tease you, which is merciful. In other co- which is merciless. Which is in other countries, it's kind of the opposite. It's like if you have a vaginal div- d- delivery, it's because you're slumming. <laughs> You know, because <laughs> right. like in Brazil, right. as our friend Anna Paula Marco told right. us at one of our podcasts, right? It, you know, the C-section rate in the upper upper class is approaches ninety percent. Exactly. I think they'll ten percent probably the babies fall out before they can get to them. Exactly. So look, the truth the truth of the matter is, we're ha- I am grateful for the operation that's called a cesarean section. There are babies and mothers where that is the best way for them to be born how and often yes, in your view how often is it It should it, be less than 50 it should be 15 percent or less and the less you know when we when we look at other countries that don't have access to hospitals and medical care and therefore we, we start we therefore cesarean we start talking we start sounding like we have first world problems right because here we are talking about 
I want to have my baby at home. And we have people in other countries who are like, God, I really wish I could get to the hospital to have my baby because I need the stuff that the hospital has and it may not be available. So for me, the way I look at it is that there needs to be a complete balance. Yes, we need medicine for what it's needed for. When it is truly indicated for a baby to be born by C-section, I'm grateful that I could go to the hospital down the street if I need that. But what I have a problem with is that the C-sections are used unnecessarily and they're used for all different sorts of reasons. They impact women's health. Listen, I had a C-section. I had a C-section with my first child. My mom had two. I've had six, five other children vaginally after that, but I still suffer from some of the scar tissue that's uh, related to the cesarean birth that I have. I still have issues. We don't talk about that in the United States. We don't talk about, we sometimes make C-section look like, oh, it's just an option. Go United, ahead, you can, United, you can schedule United, it. It's no United, problem. United States has a different set of problems than the rest of the world. So let's say, try to stay focused right here, right now, because there, there, are, there are other things affecting the, the local community here in Southern California. Which, which I want to talk about. I, when you're ready, come to me because I got well, I got. Yeah, well, I wanted to just br briefly bring up a couple of them and then we can either develop into them or we go off to your question. But, but one of them is like, uh, where, where, does it where is it decided that uh, if you have your membranes ruptured for 24 hours, that's the end of your possibilities? Right. Where is it decided that 42 weeks is the absolute limit of, of where you can go? Where is it decided that that at age, at age 34 years and 11 months, you're fine, but at 35, you're suddenly an elderly prime of gravity. And Dr. Right. Stu, let me put the question to you. Where is that decided? It is not scientific, I will tell you that. It is, uh, it was, it's like, it's like- Is it's it a, decided by physicians in a boardroom somewhere? Yeah, someplace, somewhere, somebody back then decided this, and so, you know, one of my mantras uh, is the long habit of not thinking something wrong gives it the superficial appearance of being right. Mm -hmm. No one bothers to stop and say, where did 24 hours come from? Why isn't it 25 hours and 12 minutes? Right. Why isn't it 23? 24 is a nice round number. Doesn't mean anything. There is no science behind 24 hours. And there is no science behind 42 weeks. Maybe, maybe 42 weeks is uh, two standard deviations abo uh, above the mean. But so what? So what? Ask yourself, so what? If the baby's testing is fine at 41 weeks and five days, and we know that the testing tells us that the baby will be okay for the next three days, why does she have to be induced or sectioned tomorrow hmm. or, or, or even sooner than that? Why do they do that? These are the kind of questions. I mean, I have recently, I had a, a, a lovely woman who uh, was wanted a home birth with a midwife, but she was also getting concurrent care at a Kaiser Foundation hospital up in Ventura. And because uh, she ended up rupturing her membranes, and she went into testing with Kaiser. Who ruptured? Oh, she she she, she ruptured her membranes her at 40 weeks in. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hang on, I can tell you exactly. Uh, 40 weeks on the nose. 39 weeks and six days. Okay. She ruptured her membranes, and went in for Kaiser for testing that day for uh, her biophysical profile, which was fine. Immediately following the rupture. Yeah, she had an appointment that day. She went in, and now that they had documented that her membranes had ruptured. And, and actually, it was only what's called a slow leak because ultimately when she did deliver, there was a huge bag of waters and everything gushed later. But they assumed that she ruptured. The midwife who was t planning to deliver her at home was, was nervous about letting her go beyond 24 hours because she has to maintain a relationship sure. with the doctors at Kaiser. So at 24 hours, this woman calls me. I have never seen her in her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I knew her from 10 years prior. It was the last time I'd even spoken to her. And she called me and asked me if I if I would come and care for her, 
And I did with another midwife, who, and we came in, and she went into labor that evening, about 26 hours, 27 hours later, had a big bag of waters delivered. In five hours, she delivered a 10-pound, three-ounce vaginal Beautiful. delivery. I'm the layperson on this show. Dr. Stu's podcast, he's, he's Dr. Stu, OBGYN, three decades of experience. Uh, Kimberly Durden is here, internationally board certified lactation consultant. Although we're not calling you that on this show. You're but calling I want, me a student midwife. But I want you to know that people know you're a student midwife. And I, I want your credentials out there because it's important because it also underscores that I'm just a layperson. Okay, so here's my layperson's opinion when you guys talk about how you conduct yourself in the home birthing world. To me, I'm going to say it plainly, and I'm going to use a cuss word. <laughs> there seems to be, in the home birthing world, a whole lot less of covering your ass going on. <laughs> Is that safe to say? You know, I think that we are, we're, we're, we're riding a thin line. We have guidelines that we have to, 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 to go by. Um, the short answer is yes, but... Yeah, Kimberly's going to give you a better answer. Is yes, give you a better answer. That we're not so much interested in covering our ass. I mean, what I think we're more interested is in is making sure that the families feel like they are empowered and feeling like they are making they are able to make informed decisions about their care. And so I with, think with evidence based choices, evidence based choices, absolutely. Right. And I think that we come into this. There must there's a little rebel in us. There is. And there's a good and rebels are good. There's a lot in him. <laughs> there's rebels are good because we make things change. <laughs> And we're, we're, we're not afraid. I'm a, I'm, but I'm a rebel be, with a cause. You sure are. Right. right. We're not afraid to push the envelope. We're change makers. We want to see this different. And we're willing to put it out there. This is our, this is our, it's our calling. It's not a job. It's something that we were called to do. And so I'm cool with that. When did you find Kimberly in your life? I'll never ask a beautiful woman her age. But at what age were you when you realized that this home birthing and facilitating it is your calling in life? I had my first child by C-section. She was a breech. She was a breech baby. If I had known Dr. Stu then, actually, he, he probably would have. She's 23. Could you have done a breech birth then? Oh, like I was a, doing breech births in, in the, the hospital, hospital back the way, then. He yeah. could have helped me out. You look great, by the way. So do you. Unless you, um, <laughs> No, I don't. Um, unless you had your babies at a very young age, no. you look terrific. Thank you. It's because, you know, good living. Yeah. But anyway. And jeans. <laughs> and jeans. So I had my first child uh, by C-section. I wasn't planning to have a C-section, but that was the only option presented to me when it was discovered that my baby was coming butt first, coming breech. And the option was presented by the doctor. Right. I was actually with midwives, but then once the baby was breech, they said, oh, you got to go to the doctor now. And the doctor just said, you're going to have a C-section today. And I did. I had a C-section that day with, with my daughter, who's 23 right now. She's beautiful, wonderful. However, I didn't want to go through that again. And... I didn't see myself birthing with an OB. I definitely wanted a midwife. I was planning to birth in the birthing center. I was in New York City at the time. And at New York City, uh, 20 something years ago, the birthing center that was there, their backup physicians would not allow women who had had a prior C-section birth, birth in a birthing center with a midwife. Wow. So I was barred from birthing in birthing center with a midwife because I had a prior C-section. However- I assume that's changed by now. I'm not sure. I don't think so. However, home birth midwives, direct entry midwives, which are legal in, in New York, were able to come in and give and have help me with a home birth, which I thought was ridiculous since I couldn't go to a birth center, but I could have a home birth. Whatever. So I ended up signing up for a home birth and 
went on to have a very successful home birth and had the rest of my kids. That's a um, perfect that example way. of obstetrical logic. It so, really is, right? Yeah, uh, that's uh, obstetrical. Uh, there's elaborate. A lot of that. There's a lot of... Elaborate on why that is. I feel like Larry King. Elaborate on why that is a perfect example of obstetrical logic. Elabor well, elaborate on that. I just had another heart attack. Whoa, I'm passing out. I, uh, Randy, I'm going down. Larry King, going down. All right, elaborate. Larry's out, but I'll, I'll step in. Elaborate on why what Kimberly just offered is that perfect example of obstetrical logic. Uh, Kimberly said it very well. She could have a home birth, okay, but she couldn't have a birthing center birth because of some rule. It's it's like states that that ban home birth midwifery right. and make it a felony. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong for the woman to have a home birth. It's only ro wrong if someone who knows what they're doing is actually helping her have a home birth. It's the absurdity of bureaucracy. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's obstetric logic is is uh, my my new term for that. It's your new term for because it because there's so much of that in right. my profession. And that's the covering your ass part, though. All that is about covering your ass. Yeah, and, the 24-hour thing with this with this client, you know, she had her heart set on her having her home birth, and they were going to take that away from her. And they were actually wrong about the diagnosis too. Even if someone leaks, you know, she did. She was her group B strep, which we've all talked about before, was negative. There was nothing to wrong. They, there was no she reason. She had no big risk factors. There was no reason that she couldn't go beyond 24 right. hours. Except that it didn't go the, follow the protocol, the standard operating which, procedures which, of her backup of a division. big institution. Exactly. Big institutions. You know, I understand big institutions. The 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 reason they're they have to protect themselves. Yeah. They have to cover their. Yeah. Ass, right. yeah, all right, because they have to stay open, yes. but and they have a deep pocket, which in this country is a ticket for you know what, yeah, right. So, but that's a problem, and the, and she didn't, she wasn't able to go to them and say that I'm going to have my baby when it comes, and you are going to help me deliver it, because. She didn't know she had the right to do that. They were nor did she. They were dictating procedure. Nor did she know. Did, nor did she want to deliver a baby in an environment that was sort of stressful for her. Not, not to mention, what's happening now is that when parents are starting to fight some of these standard operating procedures, starting to question it, we actually have parents that are being threatened oh. to have their children taken away from that's, child protective services. That's, that's big. real. It's happening all over the United States, where we have perfectly healthy babies perfectly healthy families yeah. babies are being taken away because they didn't follow the rules of the hospital well this begs my question because and this is a question i wanted to get to and in the uh 10 minutes or so we have left on dr Stu's podcast number 75 i would be remiss if i let dr Stu and kimberly leave uh without uh, broaching this sub uh, subject kimberly you obviously love babies you obviously love children you love pediatrics doctor i don't love teenagers though <laughs> that's okay dr Stu. i know you love babies and i know you love of uh, children, we've got and you, Brian, and you too. <laughs> we've got to talk. And you, Randy, and we've oh, <laughs> and you, Randy, and you, Kimberly. Good night, John Boy. Good night, good night, Grandpa Walton. Look, we have to talk about vaccinations. We have wait, to. Wait, 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 wait. No, we, guys, we have talked to. about vaccinations. We got to do it here right now. We got to do it here right we did now. Did a whole podcast. On I that. know, but we got to do it here right now in five minutes. All right, but then the, I want to. I want to talk okay. about one more we, birth. Okay, so give me this five. Was, this give, was Doctor Stu's podcast to just like talk about home birth. Okay, they, give me five minutes on vaccinations. Four. Okay, I'll give ticking. you. I'll give you four 359. minutes on vaccinations. Three fifty-eight. We got Randy. Okay, on the clock. Fine. You watch me do it. I'll do it almost right. to the second. We got this craziness. Three fifty-one. Stop doing that. We got this craziness going on at Disney. 
land and we've got parents we live in a world where we a first world the first world where we are so blessed with scientific improvement and scientific data that we have gotten to a point in our community where parents are more jacked up and freaked out that the kid next to their kid in the lunchroom at school might have a peanut rather than not have gotten his polio vaccination by the way you know the solution to the peanut allergy thing is actually to give people peanuts okay fine well the solution to the polio problem is not giving them a a, a buttload of polio it it actually is it's It's giving them a little bit of polio a little bit of polio buttload but right right, my point (laughs) but here's my larger point why especially angelinos and we do dr stew's podcast from hollywood from los angeles where underneath it's lovely burbank it's uh, uh, downtown burbank underneath (laughs) all the glitz and glamour is more glitz and more glamour uh here's the point we have gotten to this point as human beings where we are so blessed with innovation and the advancement of the human mind that i believe is divine that has brought us so many vaccinations in so many ways to ensure the healthy health and safety of our children yet we as adults we're the adults in the room and we're ignoring the science and ignoring the vaccination to the point and i'm done in a second that my friend who i work with two weeks ago is sitting up all night in an er at a hospital with a 13 month old with pertussis full-blown whooping cough vomiting and blood and the whole nine yards it only takes a generation to do away with some real serious advancements in vaccinations let's pull it together gang okay go I think that's a totally different subject off topic from what we were talking about. And all I would say is that I think the big, big issue is choice. And I don't think that you want to force any group of people, any country to they must do this or they must do that. What if it's going to save the life of their kid or better yet, the kid, if your kid, the kid is kid, vaccinated, if I met my dear, the kid sitting next to their kid in the classroom at public your kid school. Is, if your kid is if you vaccinate your children, then you wouldn't have to you don't have to worry about the kid next to you having petrosis because you're vaccinated from it. So if you're vaccinating your children, then really, why are you worrying about unvaccinated kids? I think that parents who choose not to vaccinate their children First of all, I'll talk about it in two levels. Va- parents who choose to not vaccinate their children these days are actually quite educated. Usually they're doing the research and they're going, they're digging a little deeper. And it's the same with home birth. They're digging a little deeper. They're not just going for the party line where some authority figure or some authority organization is saying, this is how you have to birth. It's the same thing with vaccinations. Parents want to be able to make choices. And I do know people who have been harmed by vaccines. So there is there is a sure, chance of harm sure, there sure, as sure. well. But people need to get all the information and make an informed choice. In fairness. This is America. In fairness, right? That's right. In fairness, I read an article today about vaccines that fire me up. That's why I took a couple of minutes there. Let's have the last five minutes of Dr. Stu's Banner 75th podcast be that old school charming Dr. Stu's podcast feel. He's going to take us uh, just contemporary, just uh, traditionally, nostalgically, (laughs) to the way it was at podcast number one. I will promise you, Brian, that we will revisit the vaccine question as more information comes out. It ain't going to go away. More information is going to come. Right. We will. But I I do think that... that, the one thing that I'll say that I think I've said before is that, you know, we you always have to look at the denominator when you're talking about these number of cases of measles and uh, of uh, a whooping cough or whatever your friend had. So if you're looking at a fraction, the denominator is the bottom the, number. Yes, for, the, for, right. for Randy and the other no, people no, that aren't paying attention. For the LAUSD students, <laughs> right. the denominator is the, the bottom. bottom it's under the hash mark. It's right. at the bottom of the fraction. And we're talking, you know, 20 or 30 cases of measles in California, sure. a state of 40 million people. 
um, it, it, it's not as big a deal as it is. It is something where people have a, every time, you know, as, as your friend Rahm Emanuel once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who believe and there are pharmaceutical companies who are in, who would like to see vaccines be mandated and mandatory. And they're in their Sacramento and other state capitals lobbying for that sort of thing. You're my friend and I love you. Thank you for tolerating my emotion on this issue. No, I, we, yeah, I mean, we put, we've been through a lot. This is, this was minor. So it's not a big deal. All right. I want to, I want to, I you know, again, I, I talked about the 42 week thing before, but I want to, I want to talk about uh, a, a woman who I met uh, late in her pregnancy when she was breech. And about 37, 38 weeks, I met her when uh, her baby was breech. Um, she elected to have a, a, have a vaginal breech delivery. We be, she began she tried all the techniques that are generally uh, we offer people, which is chiropractic, Webster technique, and inversions, and and hot to help and cold turn the packs baby. and stuff to turn the baby, spinning around. babies to mm-hmm. try to turn the baby. That baby wasn't going anywhere. It was her first baby, Frank Breach wasn't going to turn, so she at least had the option of Doctor Wu in Glendale or Doctor Stu at home to do a home birth. She chose to have a home birth. But she went to 39 weeks and nothing happened. And she went to 40 weeks and nothing happened. And she went to 41 weeks and nothing was happening. And she must be growing more afraid as the days go on. Well, she's not herself. She was in a pretty good place. But obviously, once you start going beyond your due date, you make the mistake, as a lot of people do. Of answering the phone and mother-in-laws on the line. Telling other people when your due date was and now they're calling you. And they're asking you questions, and then they find out that your baby's breech and you're going to do it at home. So hopefully she didn't tell too many people that story. But it, it begins to pig pile on, and, and yes, yeah, so it started to weigh heavily on her. And we sat and we talked at one of her visits about that. It was probably 41 weeks and a day or so, and we did our first uh, post-dates testing at that point to see the environment around the baby was fine, and there was plenty of fluid, and the baby looked good, and it was fetal breathing, and it was fine. Her cervix, she wanted me to check her cervix and see if I could do something to stimulate it. And I checked her cervix and it wasn't open at all. And the baby's butt was high up, not even approaching the up, uh, up against the cervix. At that point, Dr. Stu, were you able to do something? No. I told her that this is perfectly normal and we're going to wait. So we waited till 41 weeks and five days and she came back in. And at that visit, she said, you know, I need for my own sanity to have an endpoint." I need to make a decision that if I don't go into labor by such and such a date... You'll induce. That, well, we don't induce breech deliveries because I don't induce at all and Forgive there's no me. doctor in okay, a hospital. For, so so what, that she so would have end, a cesarean section. Okay. End date means cesarean. For breech, that's pretty much what it means in, in most of the United okay, States. Okay, thank you. I didn't know that. Um, thank you. So she picked uh, a date where she would be have been 42 weeks and two, or possibly, I think, 42 weeks and three days. So I saw her at 41 weeks and five days. Then we did her testing on that day. Totally unrelated. She had a male or female partner. I don't want you to answer. She had a partner with her or she... No, was her husband was with okay, her. Okay, so she wasn't doing this alone. Oh, no. No, they, they it was a mutual decision. They, she, he came to every visit. Uh, he was very involved. Good. So uh, the testing was normal at 41 weeks and five days. We waited through the weekend. She came in on a Monday. Now she's 42 weeks and I think one day or maybe two. And the baby looks great. And we talked about the possibility of using a Foley balloon. It's actually called a Cook catheter to ripen her cervix. But generally, that doesn't work well when the baby's uh, so presenting, presenting part isn't engaged. Mm-hmm. And so she got to 42 weeks in two days, or maybe it was three days, and she went in and had a cesarean section. Mm. Now, 
this is the reason I'm bringing this story up is because she had her decision making process honored. She was given options. She was given, made, made intelligent decisions, and it, it turned out that this was what she needed. Now there was nothing wrong. Had we decided, she decided not to make herself a deadline that she could have waited. It's wonderful. But she chose to do this. And then I've spoken to her several times since. Um, everything went beautifully with the birth. How's the baby now? The baby's fine. The baby weighed seven pounds, 15 ounces. It wasn't overly big. Did she have a boy or a girl? She had a boy. And uh, she's extremely happy with how things went. So now we have a woman who had a C-section for breach, unlike Kimberly, who was given a choice. Right. And so her psychological, the benefit to her psychologically, I'm hoping over the rest of right. her life will be different than a lot of women right. who aren't given a choice experience. Yeah. This is a great moment on which to wrap up uh, number 75 of Dr. Stu's podcast. As Stu said at the beginning of podcast 74, we do a lot of things in this life. The Those of us sitting here in the room, I know Kimberly does a lot. Dr. Stu does a lot. I do a lot in terms of broadcasting. Randy does a ton of stuff in terms of broadcasting. Uh, but what we do here on Dr. Stu's podcast is separate and apart. It's independent from that other stuff and it is in so many ways so much more important than a lot of the stuff that I deal with that Randy deals with on a daily basis and it means a lot to be able to come here and and uh, commune and have important conversations about something that is so critical females mothers the manner in which they raise nurture birth and raise their children it is such a beautiful thing and it's an honor for me to do it i'm staggered that we've made it to podcast number 75 i'm hopeful we can go to 775 i'm just hopeful we go to 76 that's, oh. <laughs> that's my goal we'll go to 76 one day at a time okay and send emails ask dr stew at gmail.com he reads every single one of them like an ocd patient yeah you know? i need emails yeah he needs emails ask dr stew at gmail.com he responds to a bunch. I want to thank Dr. Stews, a student of uh, of midwifery, uh, who is Kimberly Durden. She is also, if I may, an internationally board certified lactation consultant. We call her an IBCLC in the business. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Listen right here on the website on Dr. Stews podcast, and you'll never miss a thing. And Kimberly, the website is... KimberlyDurden.com. And that's D-U-R-D-I-N. If you missed any of this, it'll be on the website, KimberlyDurden.com. Check right. it out and join us next time. For my pal, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's Podcast. <laughs>